G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. There was always somebody out there that was bigger, faster, stronger, and had uh, a higher rugby IQ than me. Mm-hmm. And I still find that in business today, Reed. And it doesn't matter when you have the mindset that you're going to outwork somebody. Mm. And that's that's really what I attribute a lot of my success to. I was willing to say yes and keep going when other people that were, you know, more gifted than me um, didn't want to. They didn't want it. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with John Van de Geersen. John grew up in rural Idaho, but surprisingly enough, he discovered the world of rugby union at the age of 19. He bought a one-way ticket to Australia in 2003, and he played at the University of Queensland, which in fact is the university that I went to. So go the Red Heavies and anyone who's listening from UQ. And then in 2003, he watched the Rugby World Cup, and through some kindness and a lot of hard work and saying yes to a ton of opportunities, John went on to travel the world whilst playing professional rugby in the English Premier League, the top 14 league and represented the US national team at two rugby world cups. 
just to let you all know, if you don't know, I'm a rugby fan. I think you should should do by now after listening to this show for seven years, but I'm a massive rugby nut. I also played for the Red Heavies, not as good as John, but it's awesome to have him here on the show. Today, John is now focused full-time on real estate investing. He is a partner at REM Capital. It's a growing real estate investment firm with over 4,000 units through seven states here in the US, and they're vertically integrated with property management in-house. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, John. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed couldn't be happier, and this has been a long time coming. We've been chatting for a while, and um, I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I know. And mate, not only am I I'm a fanboy of you, uh, you know, just the fact that you've been to a rugby world cup and a professional ex-professional rugby player, being a huge rugby nut myself, and I still watch all the highlights of premiership. You know, I don't follow the premiership, but I still watch the highlights of, you know, top fourteen, the Super yeah. Rugby, and I'm, 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 you know, if you go on my YouTube channel, it's surfing and rugby. You know, that's 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 what the uh, those you know those little bots online are just. Hey, Reed, have you seen this this surfing video? Have you seen this uh, this rugby video? So I'm yeah. a huge rugby nut, man. It's awesome to have someone on uh, on the show that's an ex professional rugby player. I actually interviewed. The gentleman, um, and I'm going to stuff up his name, but he was the founder of the Austin Elites. His brother was the Austin Elite. David, um, oh my gosh, the head of Keller Williams, and I'm going to really David Osborne and uh, head of uh, Go Abundance. His brother uh, was is the founder, was used to be the founder of Austin Elite, which was that first professional rugby team you know, iteration. I know Austin's had a few iterations now, but um, but mate, I want to get into it. Rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, you know, rural Idaho. Uh, my my family from the Netherlands kind of came over to uh, Illinois and had a bunch of farm ground over there. And then my dad decided to head over to Idaho and start something out there in agriculture in the '70s. And so uh, my first dollar as a kid, um, I made twenty dollars um, picking rocks out of a, a potato field which is going to be funny for some uh, American listeners because that's what they associate Idaho with is great potatoes. So uh, yeah, I, I worked the entire weekend uh, picking up rocks and, and loading them into a, a, a front loader to get off the field before planting. And uh, I, looking back, um, that was slave labor, Reed, but man, it was awesome. <laughs> that first 20 felt really good, even though uh, I think you got a good deal out of me. No, I, I, I remember... Um doing something similar back in the day, like they're sort of those hard labor jobs there um, in Australia, the cotton farms, you got to get rid of weeds and you chip the chip the weeds out and um, for prep of, of cotton farms. And it's just backbreaking work, you know, eight, nine hours in the sun. And it's, uh, it, 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 you know, you go to university for a reason, you know, you, re- you realize that you know, physical labor is not, you know, wasn't for me, but it's a good lesson to learn how to, to graft for a, uh, for, for a dollar to, to make sure that you understand the value of a dollar. A hundred percent. I agree with you, Reed. I, what I like to think of is, you know, that, that kind of taught me uh, work ethic and mm-hmm. persistence and consistency. Um, but then it also taught me, you can look at things in a couple of ways. You can look at things as, uh, you know, carrying buckets every day, day in, day out, or you can look at it as, you know, how am I going to be building pipelines? Mm-hmm. And uh, that really transferred for me in, in business. Mm. Yeah, well, I want to transfer a little bit before we get into the business to the rugby. So yeah. walk the listeners through the the, the backstory there of, of discovering rugby, because in the intro, in the intro I said, a kid from Idaho, you know, rugby probably, you don't think of Idaho on the map of rugby in the world and think that's where the, you know, international players are going to come from. But, but, but how did you just get into it? Yeah, no, I, 
I appreciate that. And, and you know, it's a funny story because I had a really late growth spurt read and I'm actually really thankful, even though, you know, it's tough when your friends in high school are grown men and, <laughs> and you're still a child. Uh, but I'm thankful that that took place because I think that if I would have grown when everybody else did, that I probably would have went on to kind of a typical, you know, playing collegiate sports sort of a scenario, maybe football, basketball, something like that. And then, you know, got done and, and found a job and along my merry way. Right. But because I was such a small kid, I mean, my first driver's license said five, seven, 125 pounds. <laughs> so, you know, I, I showed up to college and I was just kind of getting into my own and, and starting to put on a little size. And uh, I was like, man, I really want to play something. And, and a friend of mine from, uh, from uh, uh, Alaska, shout out to Brian. He said, well, bud, you should come and play rugby. And I said, what's that? I'd never heard of the word. Mm. And so then I showed up for the Tuesday, Thursday training, played on the weekend, uh, and it was a tournament. So I actually had multiple games and did everything wrong, Reed, and then, <laughs> uh, absolutely loved it. And then went back to the computer lab back when they had computer labs and did some research and found out next year, you know, heads up, there was a, a rugby world cup. It was every four years, huge sporting event. And I said, you know, I need to be a part of that. So bought that one-way ticket to, to uh, Oz uh, via Sydney, which funny enough on the map, uh, Sydney's only like two inches away from Brisbane, but man, that's a big space that I had to figure out how to get up to uh, hitchhiking and whatever else. So massive learning experience and really an appreciation about just the world in general and, and you know, more appreciation for where I came from too. So uh, really cool experience. And, and then after that, you know, it was just a series of, of people, you know, kindly opening doors that didn't have to. Uh, which has been in business for me as well, funny enough. And I try to do the same with people, opening up doors for them uh, when I when I really don't have to uh, and giving that person that puts their hand up an opportunity. And that literally just snowballed into another club in another country and then finally getting on the USA radar and then getting a, uh, an agent and starting to get a couple of contracts and, and some World Cup looks. So it was a wild 10 years, man. That's awesome. And 10 years of professionalism. Like, so that's, that's a long time to be in a professional sport. Give, given the fact, you know, you'd be coming into a sport, it's like me trying to pick up or Aussies trying to pick up NFL when you don't have those micro skills of playing backyard footy with your brother or your sisters and your mates, you know, the, the offloads and the, just the, the nuances of it. It would have been a real steep learning curve to, to come in, you know, particularly it sounds like you were in your late teens anyway, yeah. to pick it up from scratch. So clearly you would have had just a natural athletic ability that attracted someone to say, hey, this, this guy's got something here. Let's, 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 you know, let's nurture him into being a professional athlete. Yeah. And you know what, Reed? I think just to relate to the folks that maybe aren't sports people, there was always somebody out there that was bigger, faster, stronger, and had uh, a higher rugby IQ than me. Mm -hmm. And I still find that in business today, Reed. And it doesn't matter when you have the mindset that you're going to outwork somebody. Mm. And that's, that's really what I attribute a lot of my success to. I was willing to say yes and keep going when other people that were, you know, more gifted than me didn't want to, they didn't want it. Right. Right. That's, that's incredible. Talk to me, which world cup did you go to? Uh, so first one was 2007. Uh, mm -hmm. I was uh, the young buck in the locks, uh, which is the position that I play. And 
That was in France, right? That was in France. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some huge hitters, four, four guys ahead of me and Peter Thorburn, the old uh, Kiwi All Blacks uh, selector, who was our coach at the time. Um, he said, John, you know, you're not going to be going, but you've really shown well and we're really excited to keep developing you and just stay ready too. And Reed, I had a weird inclination that I might get a crack if somebody got hurt. And sure enough, I think, you know, just a handful of days into the Rugby World Cup, uh, one of the locks, one of the, the the starting locks, Luke Gross, great human being, uh, came up with a pretty big injury. And so I got a call at uh, two o'clock in the morning um, and they said, you know, John, you're coming to the World Cup. Wow. So I got to watch, uh, you know, people that I had a high degree of respect for in the game really kind of perform. And that just lit a fire with me for the next four years about, okay, what do I need to do to be that guy running out of the tunnel? Mm. And at that stage, were you professional? Uh, No, but because, you know, taking those chances and doing those things, uh, that then put me in, you know, a direct uh, pipeline to be professional, got the agent, got the opportunity Mm. to step into the French top 14 league. Uh, with, uh, uh, who, who was your, what was the first game? Who did you run out to? Uh, with the U.S. team? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, that's a really was it Was it at the World Cup? Because that would have been no. pretty magical. It wasn't. Okay. Okay. No, I didn't. I did not suit up for the World Cup. Uh, injury, you know, reserve, um, you know, and then they just brought in and kind of mixed and matched because Peter was big on experience. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, I want you here. I want you observing. I want you learning you know, and you may get a look, but probably not. Um, and mm. I didn't, but you know, I'm mm. glad I didn't because I had to go back for four years and earn the next time I ran out onto the field for a world cup. Right. Which was 2011, right? 2011 so New Zealand. In New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what was that first game like running out at the world cup? That would have been an incredible experience, you know, pulling on the U S Jersey for the Eagles and, and who was it against? Can you remember it? Yeah, so we uh, we actually had um, we had Ireland uh, September 11th, and wow. we had the New York Fire Department um, and Police Department cut a video for us, mm. and we we watched that ahead of running out onto the field and played a very tight game with Ireland um, and ended up losing. But uh, yeah, that was a big moment. And then we had yeah. the way they structured the World Cup with the pool games at that point in time. We had a, a, a four day turnaround to. Uh, playing Russia and, mm-hmm. um, and then ended up beating them, besting them. And, you know, there was people in the fans with, uh, you know, uh, cosmonaut outfits on and all sorts of things. And, and rugby's just fun like that too. Right. So, uh, right. you know, it's anytime you get to represent the, your country, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, mate, I could only imagine. And, and that's, that would have been a pretty, yeah, Ireland would have been a big step up, but you know, on September 11th, that would have pretty, uh, you know, pumped you up and t- four day turnaround on a, on a full contact sport, you know, in that. But you're probably in so much adrenaline at that point. You're like, you, you, injuries don't even matter, <laughs> you know, like they just sort of you, you you sort of walk that off, get in the ice bath, and, and next on. But that that first win would have been pretty sweet against Russia on like at a, at a World Cup because was that the that wouldn't have been your first, that wouldn't have been the USA's first win, right? Ever it would it wouldn't have been. No, they, they've had other wins uh, previous, but. Uh, uh, you know, to your point about the celebration, yeah, you know, you get on the the bus after, you know, and leave the stadium and, you know, we had, I don't know, 20,000 odd people, you know, cheering. And I, I can specifically remember uh, fireworks by Katy Perry 
absolutely being screamed <laughs> by at the top of uh, the U.S. guy's lungs, and uh, it was a, it was a good ride home for sure. But any then, then you have a, a small you got a small win you got a small window to celebrate, and yep. you're, you're back on the job too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 incredible, mate. Any uh, any stories from that bus ride home? Sort of you know na- naked uh, <laughs> naked up the, up up the, uh, up and down the, the you know the the young buck you know anything that, that sort of stuff? Uh, any PG versions? <laughs> yeah, no, you know you know the you know the stories, man. But uh, some uh, of them are true, some of them aren't. And uh, you know, I, I, I got to run it by my uh, my boys before I let anything. Yeah. <laughs> As they say, what sta- what happens on tour stays on tour. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Well, look, let's. I, I could talk to you as a huge rugby nut. Um, I actually listened to the the rugby pod. Uh, with Big Jim and Andy Goo, you should definitely listen to it. Big shout out to those boys. Um, but yeah, look, we could keep talking to you all day about that. But let's get into what you built with REM and, and that transition because I, I I know a little bit about your backstory. But what tell us how you got involved in multifamily because coming out of sport and, and maybe just touch a little bit on coming out of professionalism because that is also a hard thing to do mentally. Getting back into the workforce after being a professional athlete for for, for ten years. Huge. And you know what? Uh, we're going to a few different wormholes on this on this podcast, but I will take a moment to say anytime that you have a big identity into something that you are mm-hmm. this or you are that, I was I was the rugby player, you know, and you know, it was cool because I was on I was on uh I was on TV every every weekend uh in Europe and people would ask me for autographs and you know, all these kind of crazy things that I never got really comfortable with. But uh, you know, I I, I turned off the lights on that and walked away, you know, pretty satisfied, but I underestimated how hard it would be to transition. And mm. it, it can get really dark really quick because you're not in the limelight anymore. You know, the friends of convenience don't show up as much, uh, you know, and you kind of really find out a lot about you and you lot, a lot about, uh, uh, you know, who your friends are. And, and you know, it, it was a big redefining moment in my life. And, mm. uh, you know, one thing you got to do is you got to keep the body moving, man. <laughs> you got to right. show up and you got to do something every day because you kind of get into this funk where the mm. adrenaline was pumping all the time. You know, you, you knew what you were going to do every day. Your days were pretty much set out and scheduled. And then you retire and you don't know where you're going to go and what you're going to do. So, yeah, it was a it was a big period for me, no doubt. And so I looked around and got into a, an entrepreneurial situation very quickly with a startup company in agriculture. And uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful uh, crash course MBA read for five years. Um, and at, at the time that that kind of uh, finished, I needed to uh, get more control over my life. And real estate's been around me since I've been a kid in one fashion or another. And so I said, you know what, I think I'm going to go down this real estate path and went into residential Mm. and, you know, lightning strikes and people open up doors when they don't have to, like I said, and I I rode an elevator with the founder of one of Keller Williams top uh, teams, uh, Lisey Bishop Real Estate. They do about 300 million in volume per year just out of Boise, Idaho. And uh, that spurred about six meetings. And then after that, it was just glaringly obvious that we needed to be working together. So I came on uh, on that team and really kind of helped uh, transform that organization to a bit of what it is today. And hmm. it's a pretty exciting organization with, I don't know, 50 odd uh, team members. And, you know, they're doing massive stuff in, in the residential space. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah. I will say, Reed. And, you know, I know I have friends that are still in residential today and they're incredibly successful. 
I always felt like there was something else out there in real estate. And I always liked the notion of having cash flow. Mm-hmm. I didn't like being as good as my next sale and always kind of chasing that in, in residential. And it, it just wasn't going to be for me. I wanted something that was very scalable. And I also wanted to be more of an integral part on the leadership level too of an organization um, because I believe that I have some things that I can help people with, mm. uh, you know, as, as far as um, skill sets. So anyway, uh, ended up kind of listening to some podcasts and talking to the right people. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an unlimited partner in some multifamily, which it's funny when you, when you put a, uh, I will say this to limited partner people listening, when you put an investment out there and it's 50 K it's hundred K you're like, Oh man, this doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. It's so slow. <laughs> I can tell you that three, almost four years, three and a half years when that was invested, that went by so fast. And then all of a sudden you get that check in the mail where you've doubled your money, uh, you know, and, and cashed out really nicely man, it, it's, it's a lot like farming in my upbringing. You know, you got to plant those seeds for them to reap the harvest and it just takes consistency to do so. so. No, I, I, okay. So much to unpack there. And, and, and I want to, I want to unpack, but just before you, we do um, back to your mindset of coming out of professional rugby, yeah. you know, being a, being a huge rugby nut myself. And you probably, you, you, you would have heard about this, but Dan Vickerman took his own life. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you may, may have played against him. You may have known him, but you know, there's, he's a second row, same position as yourself. And, yeah. and a lot of guys, not, not only just in rugby, but across multiple professional sports, guys and girls struggle with coming out of um, professionalism. And it's, it, it is, it is a massive thing. And people, you got to, un, you don't underestimate, I just, I want to just sort of just not let that go because I could only imagine and I'm not a, nowhere near I've been touched professionalism, but I've just seen it take people's lives and it can be a real, you've got to like be in the right headspace to come out of a sport doing it, as you said, grinding day in very scheduled day in, day out and keep the body moving. Um, and then, you know, having your identity taken away from you, right. To then yeah. re, re, redetermine what your identity is and, and I think that's, you know, kudos to you to be able to, to do that. But it's not, I'm just sort of saying it to those listeners, it's not like it's an easy thing to do. No. And, and, and there has been tragedy around that, you know, particularly in the rugby scene. Yeah, I, th- I think as a, a sport fan, you're like, oh, what do you mean? You had a wonderful career in, in sport. Like, how, how hard could it be to transition? But it is a massive, massive uh, transition and it, and it can be very challenging. And I've seen a lot of uh, relationships wrecked. I've seen a lot, mm. of, a lot of things happen that are that are tough. And you know what? You don't have to go that alone. I would say, in retrospect, uh, mm. sure that you have a good support system and you're staying active. You're, you know, meeting people for coffee and you're talking about, hey, what could I do even before you retire? Mm. Um, and that could be, you know, there's a, there's a transition there with with business in general. Like if you're thinking about making a change, you know, while you have your current gig. Make sure that you're planting seeds ahead of time so that right. you can just step off of that boat onto another boat and, and you don't have to make such a huge gap out of it. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now back into the show. Talk to me about the the residential jump. You, you mentioned Keller Williams, and, and I think you know 
there is an element, and, and you know this being in the syndication space, but you, you sort of touched on it. And I want to, I know I struggle with this a little bit as well. And it's the constantly trying to outdo or get the next deal, right? Because there's the, there's there's cash flow as an LP investment, right? And there's living off that cash flow and investing in deals. But then there's the art of actually and the business of syndication. And it is not dissimilar to residential real estate in that you have to keep the deals coming through sure. to keep people, you know, your investors satisfied. And it's, you know, it's, you know, to try and build a sustainable business around where's the next deal coming from. And it's deal junkie, but how does that sustain over 20, 30 years? That is, you know, the underlying power of what a business means. Um, there's still an element of that. And I just wanted to just dive into that just to, just briefly because it's it not it, multi and commercial real estate isn't, um, you know, it's not, it, 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 it doesn't, you know, it still has the same problems, you know, in, in that you've got to go and continue to do the next deal and the next deal and the next deal to build the portfolio, to build the momentum. Otherwise, if you don't, you know, investors could go off and invest somewhere else. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think that you, you've got to keep bringing value to your investors and they're only going to wait for so long before they start getting into something else. But on the other side of the coin, Reed, I think that uh, really kind of savvy investors, uh, investors that have a lot of trust in you, they're going to appreciate that, you know, maybe for a quarter or two, you're kind of pencils down. And mm. when you're educating them about why and making them a better limited partner investor, they're going to appreciate that. Right. They right. are. They are. And there's always a deal in any market too. So there you, was you, always a deal. You gotta be market. hunting. You gotta, you gotta unearth it. You gotta, you know, it's always the, you know, hundred deals to find one, you know, maybe it's two fifty. You right. know, it depends. It depends. Right. Coming in the green room before we press record, um, you know, we talked about um, you've grown really quickly, 4,000 units today, you've vertically integrated. How's that growing pain been growing so quickly? Because I, I, I have had have observed companies that I've been also in, uh, intimately involved with grow really quickly and it, it can have its growing pains. Right? It looks great on the outside of saying 4,000 units in three or four years, yeah. but that comes with a lot of learnings and, and, and probably some few skins on the knees, right? So yeah. you know, what, what, what are some of the things that you're taking away as you're now building in 2023 around the team uh, and what you want to focus on? Sure. I think from an internal perspective uh, with teammates, it's really about how do we build a winning culture where people want to show up. Uh, they want to show up for the person on the left and the right of them. And they won't, you know, how do we, how do we empower our teammates? How do we make them feel valued? How do we create systems and structure so that there's really effective and efficient communication and we condense time on on projects and turnarounds because you know if if we're doing a renovations project and it's got to be bumped over to accounting to figure out you know or we you know we need to involve the lender for uh, a disbursement all of those sorts of things how can we really make that efficient and effective and also quite frankly i mean just like sport there's a bit of accountability in that too you know how, mm. how can you coach up and lead people and i mentioned you know before we push play it's really about in this market, especially, it's hard to find talent, but how do you attract talent? And then once you attract the talent, how do you uh, keep the talent? And then, and you know, dovetailing off of keeping the talent, how do you ascend the talent? Because mm. really an organization from a leadership perspective, you've got to be finding ways to get the help people get the best out of themselves. 
Right. So I'm not a big motivator guy. I'm not like, you know, the motivation has got to be within you, but from a leadership perspective, if you can help teammates, uh, you know, find ways to, to problem solve and kind of remove their own hurdles that are in front of them, then, you know, get out of the way themselves is, is the comment, right? Like how do you help people get out of the way of themselves and, and make a better business with people? Um, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that portion of things right now, to be fair. And, um, uh, you know, we have a massive development pipeline too. We, we've got, you know, well, for us, you know, 250 million in development um, in our pipeline. And that's been something we've been working on for a long time. So to be fair, on the uh, value add side of things, being a little bit conservative right now and maybe pausing is actually really well-timed because that's going to allow us to work internally, but also uh, focus in on that development opportunity too. For those people listening, you your team is remote, yeah. Right. Your 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 the nucleus of the the team is remote. So how do you build the culture? And this is a more of a question post COVID. You know, a lot of people are remote. My team, my whole at RSN, we're I'm you know, my my business partners in New York. I'm in LA. I'm got my head of acquisitions in Central Texas. I've got head of asset management in in Phoenix. I've got my investor relations in Mexico City. Right. You know, and I'm building constantly like you. I'm 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 not probably at the scale of you've got it yet, but I'm also at a point where. You know, you have to build that culture right in the beginning and lay those foundations for, you know, the keeping and the sending and the attracting of good talent. But what are you, how are you doing that as on a remote basis and, and keeping keeping the people sort of rowing in the same direction? Sure. Well, I will say that anytime that we have an opportunity to get together, whether that's as a, um, you know, a leadership, we have an annual leadership conference. Those are nice, but that's two, three days out of the year, Reed. Like that's not mm-hmm. really how you're going to build true culture. And I'm going to preface this by saying we haven't gotten it right all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've had a few missteps and we've done some things wrong with personnel, and and that's been a challenge. Uh, but what you can do, and I know that there's business owners, you know, people that are in business listening to this. Even if your culture is not right right now, that doesn't mean that you can't start steering that ship in a different direction. Um, so I think that when you you start effective and, and efficient communication with people, it's starting out with, you know, having those one on ones with people and saying, hey, look, I'm going to recognize that maybe you haven't had the support that you need. Um, but, you know, you're super valued with what you've been doing and we're going to how can I help you and start asking some super powerful questions about getting them the tools and resources that they need so mm-hmm. that they feel like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. I've got good leadership. I can focus on my job. They've got my back. They're giving me what I need to, to be effective. And, um, you know, it's daily incremental things. And it's not big, long, drawn out meetings either. I mean, you can have a five minute talk every day and keeping people um, focused and accountable and, and collaborating on things and, you know, bringing different team members, uh, divisions within your team together, making sure everybody gets that, uh, that connection. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be about uh, the job, right? Mm. Because there, there is that element of the, the water cooler that you're never going to get uh, when, when you don't have that, that brick and mortar. And so you have to create that and, and, you know, just calling people up, making sure that, Hey man, what's going on? What are you doing for the weekend? Um, you know, there's that, that acronym Ford, right. Um, and uh, family occupation uh, and uh, recreation and dreams. 
you know, you just hit on those with people and, you know, it's fun to just see what comes out. It's a, it can be a good conversation, Reed. And I, you know, man, that's how we got connected. <laughs> right. Well, look, a lot, I know a lot of people coming out of building organizations are scared that they don't see the person. They can't go and look over that analyst's shoulder and they're not sitting in the same room. And I think it comes a little bit different mindset of how as a leader you approach that mm-hmm. because with freedom comes a lot more responsibility. And I think the communication, as you're saying, you know, you know, you are remote. Okay. So how do we do this effectively? You've got obviously you have your meetups every year and, and whatnot, but how do you also make sure that people are feeling seen and heard? And, and there's a little bit of, you know, responsibility on the on, on the individual shoulders who are below you to, to take on that, to take the baton and say, yeah, I'm going to take this and, you know, give back and, and give my all to the to the team because I'm, I'm not I'm not in an office. I'm not in a cubicle. I'm not being overseen by John every single day to make sure I'm doing my work. So there's always that different two different mindsets of what's what's best for the organization. I assume that you're as you said, you mentioned you made some mistakes. I assume you're still wanting to continue to be remote. Is there any ever a point where you would you come to you know bring the office back in, or is it always going to be that remote scenario and continuing to manage and 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 evolve to the new way in which we work these days. Sure. No, I, I, we have no intention of shifting from remote because we've got three divisions, you know, Texas, the Midwest and the Southeast. Um, you know, Robert, our managing partner, he's down in Sarasota, Florida, which is very strategic for me. You know, I'm, I've already been down there once uh, during the wintertime and I'll go down there again. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, no, it, it really is about really effective and clear communication and expectations and making sure that people are prepared when, when it's meeting time bring your numbers mm-hmm. because numbers are important in the business. Right. And, and then, you know, yeah, you, you can say, well, I don't like the fact that I can't look over their shoulder. Well, there are different ways to make sure that accountability and quality of, of workmanship, if you will, is, is still being met. Um, and if you can combine somebody that feels respected, they feel heard, they feel valued, they're excited to show up, uh, they're engaged you know, I think engagement is probably one of the biggest downfalls or lack of engagement is one of the biggest downfalls in any industry. You know, somebody just doesn't really care. They're just sort of coasting. Um, you know, when you can get somebody engaged and remote, quality of life is probably fantastic. And, you know, job satisfaction's up there too. So they're probably doing a really good job for you. No, so, I mean, there's a few different factors there. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I want to or keep talking to you forever, but last thing before we get into the lightning round, what's the plan for 2023 and beyond? Sure. Yeah. Uh, we always say we're, we're looking to do good deals uh, with, with, with good people. And, you know, that, that's uh, pretty simple, but there's a lot there. So when we can find the right deals, uh, we're going to do those deals and it's going to have to be with the right people or, or we just don't do it. Um, so, you know, with that, we're really not earmarking a specific door count because it's got to meet that first thing I talked about. You know, if, 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 if we say we're going to do 5,000, uh, doors, then, you know what, I, I didn't hear anything about quality in there, Mm. you know, Mm. but the right deal and the right people that makes a lot of sense for growth. And then after that, when you execute, you know, good things are going to happen. So uh, for us, it's going to be uh, being conservative, really watching the market as there's price discovery and really focusing in on our internal systems and structure and culture, as well as uh, capitalizing on this awesome development pipeline that we have. So whereabouts is that development pipeline? What are you, what are you building? So we've got a couple of different projects in San Antonio. We're a big fan of that market. I think it's a great value market and the, the data coming out of there for jobs and people is fantastic. 
and we also have uh, 220 units in St. Pete that we're going to be rolling out pretty quickly. Uh, St. Pete, Florida, if you don't know, uh, Tampa area, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you know, from the site, less than 20 minutes from the number one beach trip advisor voted uh, in, in America and number five in the world, St. Pete Beach. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there and, and Florida speaks for itself right now. So uh, we're looking at that. And we also have a couple other, uh, you know, further out in 2023 deals in Texas that we're going to be starting to develop as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, it's all all great markets. I'm very, uh, very familiar with San Antonio. It's where I cut my teeth. So, um, you know, it, everyone seems to be attracted to that market right now. So, I wish you all the best. Um, with that being said, we'd like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's get it, mate. Number one is what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Daily habit that I practice to keep on top of my goals: making sure that the night before. I'm I'm set up and I've visualized what I need to be doing. Gotcha. Love it. Love it. Because if you show up to your desk at whatever, 8 a.m. or whatever you're doing, and you're like, okay, what do I do now? Mm. You're, you're behind the ball. Like you, you aren't thinking about what needs to be executed. Uh, you know, you so you got to think about that the night before. I love it. Like being prepared. And it sort of probably helps you. I know with me, I do a Sunday uh, evening type of thing, like, I get the Sunday scaries, but if I write it down for the week, then I, I'm like, I know where it is. I don't have to think, keep thinking about it because it's in the book or it's in, it's been written down somewhere. So yep. yeah, being planning ahead is helps with the management of your mind going at a million miles an hour. So love that. Uh, question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? And that includes your rugby career. Well, wow. That's a really fantastic question, Rita. And, and, and by the way, I didn't listen. I knew you did a lightning round and I didn't listen to uh, these questions. <laughs> and I don't give, I don't give the questions out cause I don't want to pre, I want to have the, the awkward, the awkward pause and the, the, um, mm, yeah, let me think about that. Sure. Uh, you know, for, for rugby, I'm going to say, uh, Dr. Carter Croft, uh, just your, 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 your 100%, uh, true blue rugby guy that opened up so many doors for me in his life. And he didn't have to. Uh, you know, coming from coming from England and and just believing in me that there was something there that uh, needed to needed to come out. So for sure there. And then for for business, that's a tough one. But I'm actually going to say Lisey Bishop, um, the founder of, of Lisey Bishop Real Estate. And, you know, she's a, a, a powerhouse within Keller Williams International. And uh, Lisey is just one of those anomalies in real estate and business where, you just have to scratch your head and say, how in the world does she do that? But what she told, uh, what she taught me about uh, urgency, communication, uh, doing what you can today, don't put it off tomorrow, um, and and just the art of real estate in general. I mean, priceless. I mean, I, I legitimately got a PhD in residential real estate in such a short amount of time because uh, she is such a hard charging human being. I mean, for perspective, I mean, think a really great agent's gonna do 50 listings a year. You know, she'd do 120 by herself. Inside. That's outside of the team, right? right? And right. I, so, I mean, just those sorts of things. What are those secrets that those next level people are doing? And so I'm always curious about that. And she was kind enough to give me that, that floor to mentor me. That's that, mate. That's incredible, and to have that from day one, it's uh, when you got involved in the in, in in the space. I think that's such an incredible way. And there's a little bit of um, 
you know, woo-woo-ness around people you attract. So it's probably a little bit of a reflection on yourself. You're attracting the right people at the right time. So and then and, and having the ability to say yes at the right time. Because I think I'm sure if you said no, you may not be in this position you are today. You can't count out the woo, Reed. You can't. <laughs> you can't count out the woo. I've got to quote you on that. I love it. I love it. Question number three is what's the most influential tool you use in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal. Uh, or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Teams. Microsoft Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams, yep. Yep. Just because, you know, one, you don't want to drown everybody in emails. And two, being able to just pop in and, you know, in and out of calls all day and seeing people's faces, um, you know, in a, whatever we want to call it, a post-COVID world and a, you know, a tech world, uh, remote world, you know, those are invaluable because you, you can be very efficient with communications, which is the bedrock of, of a successful business. Right. Yeah, I, I completely love it. We, we use Zoom, but yeah, being being able to quickly check in and out as in a remote situation is, is, is really, really important. So love it. Uh, question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Biggest failure of my career? Um, not setting expectations ahead of time. So I think, you know, some nuggets here for people listening that are in business or they're in multifamily, maybe they're uh, aspiring or currently involved in, in multifamily. If you do not set very clear expectations with your potential partners, you are setting yourself up for um, some rough roads. So always front-loading communication so that you truly understand, hey, where are you at from a values level? And, you know, let's talk nuts and bolts about the business. Let's talk numbers, et cetera. How's that going to play out? But also understanding, hey, what are your expectations of me and, and vice versa? And, and how do you see this playing out in the next year? What are your expectations there? What about five years? What about 10 years? All of those sorts of things, because you don't want to get into a really uh, big relationship with somebody, especially when you're dealing with other people's money as well. And then things really go pear-shaped pretty quickly. That's just not fun. And, and mm. so I would, I would counsel people from my own experiences, making sure that you're taking the time to set those expectations and really map that out um, and put it on paper. You know, anybody yeah. that's going to match you from a professionalism standpoint and uh, they're, they're going to appreciate that. And that's going to be the right fit for you as far as a partner. Yeah, no, I, we, we, we're implementing just behind us is um, traction, which I'm sure you probably have you know, the EOS system and talk about rocks and oh, yeah. it's, it's essentially setting up the expectations. And then through those rocks, you're, you're, you're measuring KPIs, key performance indicators, and then that helps people keep on track. And with a remote situation, which has been the underlying theme of this can, entire show today, it's like that helps people feel what they need to achieve. And you don't need to be looking over their shoulder every single day. You can be remote because you have set your expectations very clearly. If you hit that in the, in the first quarter, second quarter, whatever it is, you're doing your work and that's all we, that's all we ask of you. So that's, yeah. uh, that's awesome stuff. Mate, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation that will be in your sphere? Where do they go? Yeah, you can reach me on LinkedIn. I think you'll probably check that into the show notes and you can come to remcapital.com and uh, schedule a call there. Glad to hear from anybody that's uh, wanting to speak more. And uh, it can always be about rugby or, uh, or real estate <laughs> or just life in general. I don't mind connecting with people that way too. 
That's awesome, my friend. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things I took away. Look, massive rugby nerd and you know fanboy over here. So awesome stuff to to, to meet a, uh, an ex professional rugby player. And you know, thank you for opening up about all the you know the challenges of of coming in and out of professional sport. I think it's a really big thing that people probably don't talk about. But you've clearly nailed the transition well and having the right mindset around that surrounding yourself with people who you know can help you and and you mentioned you know saying yes to many things and and being grateful to those who have opened doors for you it clearly sees that as you said you can't count out the woo woo but that has helped you in a way that is both through your professional career in rugby, but also into the transition into residential uh, commercial real estate and then in, sorry, resi real estate and then into commercial real estate and now in what you're doing today. So definitely something that there's there for people to, to, to take away that, you know, you can't plan it all out. And I'm sure you probably didn't plan any of this out when you look back over your career and, you know, being a little bit comfortable in the uncertainty. And I think that, 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 bodes well for you and has bode well you know over the last you know 20 odd years so did it leave anything out no you hit the nail on the head i mean i you know tony robbins quote you uh people's uh people's remuneration in life you know what they get out of it um you know in business especially is directly cor- correlated to the amount of adversity that they can deal with right you know so when you put yourself out there it can be super uncomfortable but you know you've got to take some risk to get some reward and, uh, you know, be a little bit bold sometimes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, look, mate, thank you again for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed. Well, they have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible stuff from John. If you do want to check him out, please check him out on LinkedIn or go to remcapital.com to see what he is doing over there and all the awesome deals he's buying across seven different states here in the United States. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes and all the show notes from today's show will be up on my website at readgoosens.com and we're going to do this all again next week. So Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. 